Before we get started, ESPN in partnership with Peyton Manning's Omaha Productions present The VC Show with eight-time NBA All-Star Vince Carter and co-host Roz Gold Anwude, who talk all things basketball with some of the biggest names in sports and entertainment. They will give their unfiltered thoughts on the NBA, and Vince will share stories from his illustrious 22-year career. That's The VC Show. Listen where you are listening to this podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome to a brand new episode of DC and RC. I'm Daniel Cormier. That is the intense Ryan Clark staring at your screen right now. <laughs> guys, coming up on the show, we break down everything. UFC 282. We also tap in and tap out. But RC, how was your weekend, my guy? I mean, I'm just trying to put a smile on your face right now. Nah, man, listen, I'm good, brother. You know, we took an L down there in Georgia, but I kind of expected that LSU. I mean, I think we came to fight, but it didn't necessarily look like it on the scoreboard. We had a great week. I mean, an exciting week of explosive fights, and that's why we're here, D.C. That's why every Tuesday we bring the funk, man, D.C. and R.C. Let's get it going. You know what I'm saying? So it was fun. Everything was good. LSU showed fight. The fights in Orlando were crazy. Everything was fine until yeah. last night. What the Saints did, it, it was the most crazy. <laughs> Bro, that was crazy what happened last night to the Saints. That was some nonsense. But that wasn't the only news that was happening in the world yesterday. Obviously, disappointing news for me, my Saints losing. But also disappointing and a bit surprising was T.J. Dillashaw unexpectedly retired last night. So in order to get caught up on all things T.J. Dillashaw's retirement, we bring in our combat sports reporter, Mark Ray Mundy. Mark Ray Mundy, what's up, man? Thanks for joining us on DC and RC. What's up, fellas? How's it going? What's up, my man? Well, good, my friend. Thanks for joining us. Mark, talk to me about what your initial reaction was to the news of one of the greatest Bantamweight fighters of all time suddenly retiring like that. I spoke to TJ a little bit ago after the fight about the shoulder injury, but I had no idea that the retirement was looming. Yeah, it was definitely a surprise, guys. I don't think anyone expected that TJ would actually take the step to retire from the sport. We all knew that he was going to be out for quite a while with that left shoulder injury. It kept popping out right in that fight against Aljamain Sterling at UFC 280. But I spoke to TJ Dillashaw's agent, Tiki Gosen, last night. And what he told me is that the shoulder injury is pretty severe. TJ had surgery a few weeks ago, but he actually may need another surgery. And that is kind of one of the things that is playing into the decision to step away from the UFC, you know, focus on healing that shoulder up, maybe need another surgery down the line, you know, focus on family. Of course, he's got a, a young family at home. And, you know, maybe we see TJ Dillashaw down the road. But as far as right now, he is officially retired from the UFC, out of the rankings, out of the USADA drug testing pool, the, the whole deal. He is effectively and officially retired. You know, a lot of times you see UFC retirements or MMA retirements, and they're much like rap retirements, right? They're just people <laughs> taking a break. Uh, was there any indication from TJ or his agent that the door may still be open to a return to the UFC? Yeah, I do. I do think that is a possibility. I think it really all just hinges upon the shoulder, right? How, how does the shoulder heal? Does he need another surgery? And then after that surgery, where is it at after that? So we could be talking about like another year, maybe a year plus down the road. He would be able to get back into the UFC, guys. As we know, it's, it's kind of the maybe it's the Conor McGregor rule now, we can call it, where, you know, you're mm. retired. You're at you're out of the USADA pool for, for a period of time. You mm. come back in for six months and then you can come fight. Mm. You know, it, it, it could McGregor be done. Mark, I like that. Saying, Mark, you keep saying like it. That. You keep saying it. And I like. You saw me make a face whenever whenever you first yeah. said he's out of the USADA pool, and then you say it again, and then we know that Dillashaw, who's one of my buddies, came back from, right. He came back from a suspension after doing some stuff wrong. Dude. So I ask yeah. you this: by getting out of the USADA testing pool, with the door maybe open, does it open himself to alternative ways of getting healthy? Maybe. And I don't want to put you in a spot where you're where you're yeah. like making assumptions. But it's like you keep saying he's out of you out of testing pool, so I gotta ask. I gotta know. Ryan gotta know too. All right, well, that's, that's his thinking phase. That's what he wanna know. All right. 
<laughs> All right. Well, I thought you were trying to get a better look at my, my Macho Man shirt, DC. I, I didn't know you were making a face at, at what I was saying about USADA. <laughs> but but he, here's the thing. And look, I would never accuse anyone of anything without the proof, right? Or without any evidence. And there's no evidence of anything mm -hmm. that Dillashaw is going to do or not. But here's a hypothetical for you guys, right? You leave yeah. the USADA pool, you're retired, right? You're not being drug tested. Yes. As long as when yes. you return to the USADA pool again... And, and you do your testing for six months before competing. If you're clean in those tests, you're good, right? So it's okay. Yes. And, I, and I wonder, and I wonder if this is maybe a loophole. That's why I called it the Conor McGregor. Ryan noticed this. So RC noticed this. I called it the McGregor rule because yeah, yeah, I wonder yeah. if people are seeing what McGregor is doing. They're seeing what he's doing. He's staying out of the mm. pool for now. And when he comes back next year, he'll probably be clean. What was he doing for the last year and a half? We don't know. Maybe he was doing nothing. We have no idea. But that's the whole thing. We don't right. know. And neither does USADA. And that is where maybe there is a loophole in the UFC and the USADA policy. Not saying anything is going on. I'm just saying it could be exploited by bad oh, actors. Boy, just, this dude right here. Mark Hermundi, man. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Hey, you, you said you, it. You hey, me up. Hey, you you said me up. He, he ain't saying, but he just saying. <laughs> you said See, it, You guys Mark, are a bad hey, influence. That's got me getting in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> you said hey, it. Let's look, let's look at the macho, the macho man. Macho I love the macho. I love the macho man shirt. I love the macho man shirt. I love three hundred pound macho man too. So I'm glad you saw never tested the three hundred pound macho man at the end of his career. <laughs> but Mark, thank you for joining us, man. We really thank appreciate you so much, it. Man. And uh, see you soon. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. It's an honor, Ryan. But honestly, that's a very interesting, and I mean, honestly, that's why I made the face, right? Because when he said, out of the USADA testing pool, Ryan, there are, and I'm, for lack of a better word, alternate ways to get healthy after suffering really, really bad injuries. And maybe mm -hmm. by not being tested all that time, you can kind of go down that path without living under the microscope of USADA because these retirements, like, it's fast. For it to happen that fast, mm -hmm. it, uh, it it makes me wonder whether or not this might something that TJ might be, be trying to figure out how to come back from this thing. Well, you know, it was an extremely quick retirement when you look at what he was just fighting for. This wasn't one of those Habib Nurmagomedov moments. This wasn't a Cowboy Cerrone moment where you know walking into the octagon this is your last fight, or very well could be your last fight, right? TJ Dillashaw wasn't Frankie Edgar in his last fight. And so when you now sit back and you're sitting in your house and you're thinking about recovering from this injury, I'm sure many things go through your mind. And we can't put thoughts or words into or onto TJ Dillashaw. What we know is this, is now out of the USADA testing policy he can get healthy in alternative ways if need be and we also know the loophole is yeah. he can get back into the testing and six months later be clear to fight that is just that's the way the rules work and to me in the sense of the way the rules work he ain't wrong if he does that dc like yeah. if that's the decision that he makes but i do believe his history Right. His his history with performance enhancement drugs makes this conversation even more valid, makes this a conversation that I think will be had yep. more than yep. just on the D.C. and R.C. show. And to you, yeah. the fact that that conversation is happening, even if he doesn't return, how does the P.E.D. talk or the P.E.D. cloud hang over T.J. Dillashaw being counted as one of the greatest to ever do it at Bantamweight? You know, Ryan, that 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 is that is why. And I think I think you you know, when March starts to talk, I made a face, and I think that's why I made that face, because that's the first thing that popped into my mind. That last sentence you just made, the last statement where you said his history with it makes it a conversation. But the reality is, before TJ Dillashaw tested positive for that thing, he had built a resume as one of the greatest bantamweights of all time. He's a former two-time champion. Dude has 13 wins. Nobody's won more fights in his division in the history of 135. He was a tremendous striker. was a tremendous wrestler. He had unbelievable cardio. And when him and Dwayne Ludwig started working together, the way that Dwayne's bang Muay Thai system coincided and worked together with TJ Dillashaw and his skill set, it was a match made in heaven. And he immediately made his way up to a championship opportunity. And I believe that the most impressive thing I've ever seen him do, 
was the night he beat him and Burrell to become the champion. Because mm-hmm. people people forget what him and Burrell was viewed as when TJ beat him. He was viewed as the greatest fighter of all time, one of the greatest of all time. He's viewed as the pound for pound number one. He was undefeated, or he had lost maybe one fight that won almost 20-some fights in a row. Hidden Barral was an absolute savage at the time, and TJ washed him out. And then they doubled it back, and he washed him out again in Chicago. The guy was as good as they came, but ultimately, the moment something like that gets attached to your name, people start to question the valid, how valid everything was prior, especially before USADA got involved in uh, the UFC. So... There will be a black cloud hanging over T.J. Dillashaw, but the reality is if you were there in his heyday, you're always going to appreciate what you got to watch inside the octagon. Yeah, and I think it's not just about appreciation, D.C. You know, I believe you knew you were appreciated. I think you understood the type of fandom that followed Daniel Cormier, the level of respect that both fighters and fans had for you. But I was there when you were inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame, and I could see how much that night meant to you. I could see how much that night meant to your family, to little Daniel. And if some, if for some reason... TJ Dillashaw isn't remembered in that way. I think that will always be something that he regrets because even though you yep. get kind of like the, the the admiration from the streets, you want the admirations from the executives, from the people in the organization that you fought for, you bled for, you sweated for. And if he doesn't get that based on his PED history, I think that's something that will forever linger with him and it will taint his legacy. But one legacy that I think hasn't been tainted is what we saw this weekend in Orlando. And it goes right to the main event. We got to see Steven Wonderboy Thompson in his glory against Kevin Holland. And leading (laughs) up to this week, even when we talked to Michael Chiesa, we talked about the matchup, the stylistic matchup, and getting an opportunity to see Wonderboy Thompson in his glory. And you mentioned the big ring. And I don't know if I've ever seen him better, DC, and not only be better, but a more exciting matchup than what we saw against Kevin Holland. When you look back at that fight and what we saw throughout the main event, what sticks out to you most? We got someone that made Stephen Wonderboy Thompson fight. And, you know, everybody spoke spoke or speaks about him being a point fighter. He's a point fighter until he can't be a point fighter. If you allow him to stand Mm -hmm. outside at range and pick you apart, he'll stand outside and pick you apart. But if you make him get nasty... We saw last weekend that Wonderboy Thompson can get nasty, and it takes two to tango. So he had the right dance partner in order to make for what was a fight of the year candidate. Very late in the year, you don't get many of these fight fight of the year candidates or fights that can stand up to some of the great ones that we've seen all year long. This one absolutely stands in that space, and it it is a credit to both guys. But I thought Wonderboy Thompson reestablished himself as a guy that, if given the right matchup, he can compete with anyone. I mean, he got wrestled by Gilbert Burns. He got wrestled by Bilal Muhammad. Both of those guys are two of the best guys in the world. But stylistically, it didn't make for an exciting fight. Kevin Holland did. But, Ryan, I got to ask you this. When you're watching the fight and you're watching Kevin Holland and Stephen Wonderboy Thompson shake hands after every exchange, laughing, talking, smiling, Kevin getting top position and letting him up, Almost fighting with the ego. Like, what does that say to you Where when Kevin Holland doesn't just stay on top of him and have guard and win a round, lets him up and fights Wonderboy in the area at which he's probably the best in the UFC at? Well, I think, first off, that speaks to Kevin Holland not necessarily being comfortable on the mat either and not necessarily want where he wants to win fights, even though we've seen him with the strike off of his back knock a man out. And so... To me, he knew where the exciting part of the fight was for not only himself, but for Stephen Wonderboy Thompson and the fans. And, like, this is Kevin's personality. If if you did this, DC, I'd be like, man, DC tripping. Like, we need to get him drug tested. But that's not necessarily yep, yep, who yep. Kevin Holland is. And it was probably to his detriment. But I also believe that Kevin Holland is out of the space of fighting for championships. He's in a space of entertaining. He's in a space of giving the people what they want. And I think it's unfortunate that eventually the towel was thrown because of the broken hand that I believe was broken 
in the first round, but this is who this dude has now become. But I'm also excited that he had the right dance partner to give us the exciting rounds that he was able to give us. And I think what I also want to throw some light on and shed some light on is his toughness, DC. Uh, to fight with your hand like this, to take some of those kicks and some of those strikes that Stephen Wonderboy Thompson uh, was able to land. Kevin Holland showed that he's not just exciting, he's not just entertaining, he's not just a stand-up fighter, but also tough as hell. He's tough as hell. Um, I got to say this, though, and I don't know how this is getting like lost in the whole uh, stoppage of the fight, but Michael Bisping said something in round three. He goes, Yes, it's fun. He goes, but that was the first time I saw Kevin Holland look as though he had a doubt cross his mind in regards to the matchup. But Bob Perez ultimately did go and tell the official that the fight was off. But Ryan, that decision was not made by Bob Perez. Kevin Holland made that decision. Kevin Holland, when he went to the corner after the fourth round, his coaches came in to corner him and coach him and give him instruction and he said, I can't. And he said, take the glove off me. Kevin Holland made that decision. So that was him, at least to my eyes, saying, I'm losing this fight. My hand's broken. I'm going to live to fight another day. And recognizing that in that moment. Because it sounds better when they say the referee, the coach threw in the, the towel. But the reality is the fighter made a decision, a conscious decision. And ultimately you recognize that the coaches work for the fighter. And I don't know why anyone yeah. has not isolated that audio after that round to where we can like shed some light on what really happened out there. But Bob Perez never fought him on it. He said, you know what? It's over. He went to the corner right away, told him it was over. But that was Kevin Holland made that decision that the fight was done. And I believe it was the right decision because nothing was going to change. Wonderboy Thompson was only yeah. getting better and only getting stronger. So as much as we want to give credit to Kevin Holland and the way that he stood up to being tough. The only time, Ryan, I told this to the guys on broadcast, the only time we talk about someone being tough and durable and we, we laud their heart and their spirit is when they're getting beat up, right? When it's a close fight, you're yep. never really talking about, oh, my goodness, how tough is this guy? It's when a guy's starting to lose in that way, you laud him for those things. Yeah, I think we've, I think, like, I guess I feel differently because I, I'm outside of the octagon. I'm not necessarily looking at it mm -hmm. from your point of view. Like, I've seen fights where dudes were, were going toe-to-toe, -to -toe, and I thought they both were tough as hell, the guy that won <laughs> and the guy uh, that lost. And in saying that, Kevin Holland, I think that is part of it, though, DC. If you're beating Steven Wonderboy Thompson with one hand, you keep fighting. But if you're not, yeah. and you're losing, and it's all that you do. That's the other thing with Kevin Holland. It's not like Kevin Holland was all of a sudden going to turn into uh, Hamzat Chemaev, right, and be able to take uh, Wonder Boy down and submit him. That wasn't going to happen. He was going to have to stand and fight with the dude that was showing he was actually more skilled on his feet and you were down a hand. And so I'm not going to take away from Wonder Boy Thompson's performance because it was masterful, and it was masterful in only a way that he can with that very unique karate kickboxing style so as a 40 year old dc that's older i think than like cowboy cerrone and, and and nate diaz and all kind of other guys what's next for steven thompson i hope another striker i mean honestly i hope another striker because then i know we'll get fun fights but he's already fought Bilal. he's already fought gilbert burns hamzat would take him down over and over kobe would just wrestle him usman would wrestle him so I think he's going to ultimately end up having to fight back again behind him. He's not going to get a guy that's out ahead of him. He's going to get someone that's fun. And I think that's the, you know, Wonderboy says that he still has championship aspirations, but I think that that time may have passed him a little bit. Those, those, those fights with Tyron Woodley, those classic fights were his opportunities. And I think now it's time for Wonderboy to focus on more of these types of fights, keep making money, and keep building his star because there's a, there's a world after fighting where Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who is 40 years old but looks like he's about 27, still can make a lot of money doing what we do on television. But, Ryan, the only that wasn't the only guy that's up in age fighting Saturday yep. night. Rafael Dos Anjos fought against Brian Barbarina and showed once again why 
he's one of the most skilled guys in the world because he's up at 170 after fighting at 155 for the last mm -hmm. couple fights, and he submits Bam Bam. How impressed were you with RDA? And once again, what's the ceiling for him in this latest run at welterweight? Well, I think the, the first thing is you're impressed because you're once again reminded of how skilled uh, Rafael Dos Anjos is, right? That he can win in a... Uh, a number of ways. And it wasn't just the submission by rear naked choke. It was kind of, for me, the creative ways he moved into it from, you know, from being on in top control and getting an opportunity to take the bank. And so I thought that all of those things from an outsider and a fan were masterful. And it reminded us of his championship days and who, and who he was. And so I think that the ceiling for him is to continue to beat guys that are at Brian... Barbarina's, uh, Barbarino's uh, level, but not contend for a championship. Certainly not in the in that weight class, or I think even moving back down to 155. I feel like those days have passed him, which is why I thought it was so intelligent to do what he did after the fight, which is call out Conor McGregor. Now, there was a time that we all would have lined up and paid $100 to watch this on pay-per-view or on ESPN+. And the fight never really materialized and we didn't get an opportunity to see it. What do you feel about him making this call out, DC? And how, and how excited would you be if this fight was made or would you not be excited at all? You know, I like the call out. Everybody shoots the... Uh shoots their shot, as the, the kids say. Shot. Shoot your shot, man, because if you don't shoot your shot, you don't have an opportunity, right? So by going out there and calling out McGregor, it immediately puts it back on the radar. And then, because of the history, you can run those pictures. You can run those videos of those guys staring off against each other with a championship belt back in the day. I think that him, Michael Chandler, and the way that they fought are getting them closer to fighting Conor McGregor. Because... Conor McGregor is a guy that will come back and fight a guy like RDA. Remember, he came back and fought Cowboy. It's not like he has to have the biggest name across the octagon from him. He'll fight pretty much any of those guys, so it could happen. I'd be excited to watch it, and I've wanted to watch it for a really long time. I just don't know. I don't know what to expect from these two right now at this point in their careers because what what are, what is Conor McGregor today? And we know RDA is good. But he's still a, he's small at 170. And then we saw what happened yeah. when he fought Rafael Faziv at 155, right? So what are these guys today in mixed martial arts? It would have to be a fight that nostalgia makes us press the buy button. Yeah, I think nostalgia would. And to be honest, not even nostalgia. Conor McGregor would make us. And not just me, DC, but you too and all of these <laughs> fans around the world, not just in our country, not just in Ireland, understand the type of cachet that Conor McGregor demands when he's on the card, uh, whether it's the, the main event and it's for a championship belt or it's the main event because it's Conor because we know it's going to be a main event. And now a, a guy that's looking to become a main event in the future is uh, Sergei Pavlovich. And he had a tough bout this week, or at least what we thought would be a tough match against Ty Tuivasa, who was a rising heavyweight, and then he loses to Cyril Gaon. But Cyril Gaon's one of the best in the world, and that's something that we can accept. Pavlovich goes out in the first round and not only makes quick work of him, I mean, it was no work at all. Like Floyd Mayweather says, all work is easy work, it seems right now, for Pavlovich. So sitting at 17-1, and 5-1 in the UFC, DC, what are... Sergey uh, Sergey Pavlovich's uh, prospects at heavyweight. I mean, he's dangerous. You know, watch. I, I never expected him to do that to Tuivasa. I did not because because I've trained with both of these guys before, and Sergey was always very powerful, but he was very young whenever he was training with us. Now he seems to have gotten everything in order. I mean, the guy, his approach is what impresses me most. Because it's a bit of almost disrespectful the way that he attacks these fighters. Bro, this guy has won five fights in a row by first-round knockout. But mm -hmm. all his wins, Ryan, in the UFC, they've all lasted less than a round. 
So he's not only beating guys, he is washing these dudes out and making it look yeah. like a non-competition. The only fight this guy's lost was his UFC debut against Alistair Overeem, one of the greatest strikers of all time. I believe that he's very dangerous. I believe that the right matchups will allow for him to really move quickly into championship contention. I think next fight, we may see him against a Cyril Gaon. And if he fights Cyril Gaon, we would have a lot of questions answered about Sergey Pavlovich because I cannot, I cannot for the life of me think that he would walk through Cyril in the way that he's beaten everyone else. I, I believe that. And DC, you want to know what's the most impressive thing to him, uh, about him to me, is we've seen guys get knocked out, right? You, you see Kamaru mm-hmm. Usman, or we've seen Frankie Edgar, and we know what happens when the lights shut off. But a lot of times when you're fighting at heavyweight, the lights don't shut off right away. And we're watching Pavlovich make dudes wilt. Like, you, you could see yep. there was a moment for Ty Tuivasa where he was like, okay, I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to keep swinging. And then he got caught with a couple of more along the cage, and he said, ah, that's enough. Like, we kind of saw the same thing mm-hmm. with Derek Lewis. And to me, that sort of power at heavyweight is different. You don't see it all the time with these big, tough, rugged men to have this happen. And so I think that's one of the things for me that is very impressive about what he's been able to do at heavyweight, especially doing this five-win streak. But when we look forward uh, and we're thinking about UFC 282 and what is now the light heavyweight championship since uh, Yuri uh, Prochaska vacated the spot, we're going to see Jan Bohovitz and Magomed Angoliev face off to be the new light heavyweight champion. We have Patty Pimlet against Jared Gordon, which has now become the co-main event. And obviously, Darren Till will be back at middleweight. When you think about the main event, DC, and the things that have transpired to get us to this space where one of these men will be walking out with the light heavyweight strap, how do you see this fight going? And truly, what is going to be the determining factor that says whether Jan Bohovitz can or cannot become the champion again. I'm excited about this one. You know, these guys are two of the best light heavyweights in the world. When you talk about Magomed and Kalayev, Ryan, so many people think that it was only a matter of time before he became the champ. I think that the time is a little bit sooner than what most may have expected, but he's on the verge of doing something really special. Here's the deal, though. Jan Bohovic ain't going to go away easy. This guy has unreal power, but how does he implement that style against this guy that seems to have all the skills to become the best in the world? Because he's not a lumbering guy. He's fast, he's athletic, he's gifted. He has tremendous striking, but he also has great wrestling that he can rely on. How does John Bohovic approach that challenge? And how does he handle a guy that's trying to take him down over and over again? We saw him in the Glover to share a fight not do well. We've also seen him fight guys that have wrestling backgrounds and do extremely well. Let's see how the former champion handles that. And I think that this fight and this matchup makes it very valid if Ankoliev becomes the champ where people don't look back and go, well, he didn't beat Yuri. You beat Jan Bohovic and you beat him impressively, people won't question that. And the same can be said for Jan. Yeah, I believe that. I think... No matter what, we understand that things change so fast in the UFC that if one of these men win this fight and it is a close fight and we don't feel like it says that they're the best in the world at 205, there's going to be another fight on the horizon against a Yuri, against a Glover that says, okay, now you have to show us and go out here and do it again. What is what is known is they are two, these are two of the best light heavyweights in the world, and they'll be facing off for a vacant belt. And I think both of these men will bring their A games. And Jan Bohovitz understands what it is to fight at this level and how well he has to do. But what's crazy about this fight, DC, is it was a three-round fight, and now the fight has moved mm-hmm. to five rounds. And, you know, we've seen Jan Bohovitz have his opportunities to fight five-round fights and to be in this sort of arena or in this sort of pressure fight, does it change anything about your training 
or how do you have to change your focus and mental now once you add two more rounds or add the championship round to a fight? You know, Ryan, I think it changes a little bit, but if you're getting ready for a three-round fight, you shouldn't just be sparring three rounds. You should be doing five. You should be doing six, right? You're usually doubling up the rounds that you're fighting. Um, so I feel like these guys have already been sort of preparing for the long fight because you don't know what to expect, so you do more. The biggest, the biggest worry for an athlete is the fear of not knowing what's out in front of them. So you over-prepare. So, Ryan, if you know a strategy for a game and you say, man, I'm playing Peyton Manning and I've never really played him before, you'll look at that playbook a little bit more to try to ensure that you're not going to be lost anywhere out there. That's what these fighters do. They train more. They do more. They may run a little more. So it changes the training camp to a, a degree, but not much, especially with the short amount of time that's left for these guys to make that change. It was only a couple weeks ago when we found out that year it was vacating. So you couldn't do much different. You got to make sure that in the lead up, you're doing as much as you think you have to do in order to win the fight to begin with. You know what? Honestly, DC, that makes a, a ton of sense that these guys would be preparing for what they expect to be one of the most grueling fights that they've had in their careers. And I guess the, the small change of moving it to the championship round. Shoot, DC, it only matters if you get past three anyway, but you would be, have been preparing <laughs> or over-preparing or over-preparing for a fight that goes three rounds. Now in a fight the same night, DC, that's been moved to the co-main event, we have one of our favorites, Patty Pimblett, and he's really taking a huge step up in competition, DC, fighting against Jared Gordon. So what can we expect from our young, brash, exciting star, Patty Pimblett, on that night? I think... I think Pimblett sees the next level of mixed martial arts in regards to toughness, uh, durability, and that will and spirit to win, right? What he's done so far is he has been tremendous, and he has beaten everybody put in front of him. But he has been able to... He's been able to talk to these guys and almost beat these guys before they step in the octagon. We saw Connor do that very effectively early in his career. Messed with the guys so much that they didn't necessarily carry that confidence into the octagon that they would need in order to beat him. I believe that Jared Gordon believes he's going to win this fight. But the reality is this. Patty Pimblett is exciting. Patty Pimblett has a ton of ability. And Patty Pimblett is one of those guys that comes around and the entire time he's around, you're paying attention because you're waiting for one thing. You're waiting for the ultimate breakout or you're waiting for the fall. And right now, he has not fallen. He's 3-0 in the UFC, and he has told you everything he's going to do, and he's done it. But I believe in Jared Gordon, he will see a lot of things different than he has seen to this point inside the octagon. Yeah, I think, you know, it's so crazy that Patty Pimblett is now stepping into the octagon against a dude that was in the octagon with Charles Oliveira years ago. And now I know it wasn't like this Charles yep. Oliveira and it was a, a knockout early on, but that is a step up in competition and also in experience for Patty Pimblett in the UFC and in mixed martial arts as a whole. All we've seen from Patty Pimblett is him answer every single question with the opportunities that he's been that he's been giving, and this is obviously the biggest one that he's had. You know, we've seen the dancing, we've seen the fun, but we've also seen the marksmanship. We've also seen the wrestling. We've seen the fighting through adversity. But this is going to be the biggest stage he's ever been on, especially being the co-main event on a pay-per-view. And so, when you think about Patty Pimblett and what he has to gain and lose in this fight, DC, how much pressure is on this young star? Oh, there's pressure. There's a lot of pressure. But you got to kind of think, right? He's been groomed for pressure. They, they took him to England early in his career and sold out a fight card based a lot on what he was going to do, Molly McCann was going to do, Tom Aspinall was going to do. Those kids have handled pressure because they've been strategically put in situations to try to overcome those things. But... It's much different to fighting in Las Vegas, last pay-per-view of the year, against a guy that wants to take your head off. Jared Gordon 
is a tough son of a gun. He's a, 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 a well-rounded mixed martial artist. He has tremendous stand-up, and he fights with a lot of forward pressure. The key is going to be, can he defend the takedowns? Can he stay upright and not end up grappling over the course of extended periods of time against Patty Pimblett? But, Ryan, there is pressure, and he's going to feel the pressure, mm. but he'll feel that pressure on Friday and Saturday when he goes to the ceremonial yeah. wins. It'll be big as anything he's ever been in. And he walks into that T-Mobile arena on fight night, and he's in the co-main event where the whole night the evening has been built to get to that moment. So the energy's off the charts. And he's got to go in there against a guy that wants to take his head off. There'll be pressure. And the experience is on the side of Gordon. So we'll see how Patty Pimblett handles it. Well, I think it'll be fun to see Patty Pimblett in this sort of atmosphere. But I think him having the opportunity to be such a big star, kind of before, kind of having fame before success in the UFC has built some of these nights for him, understanding that he was the main attraction when they fought across the pond. And some of those different things that have put Patty Pimblett kind of in the forefront of the fans, of the UFC, of the Knights, I think it helps him going into this fight against Jared Gordon, even if it is a strong move up or a big move up in this competition. We're also going to get an opportunity to see Darren Till back in the octagon against Duplessis and when we think of Darren Till, he's kind of become, at least now, D.C., uh, more famous for his relationship with Hamzat Chemaev and kind of some of his antics and the things that he's done than fighting. But this is a good fighter. This is a good fighter that's had, you know, a tough go of it in his last four or five fights. So when you think of Darren Till getting an opportunity to grace the octagon again and kind of set his path back straight and continue his journey what do you need to see from him to say that Darren Till can still be a factor in the middleweight class? You know, consistency. Because it's not like Darren Till has not fought really high-level competition well, right? Darren Till was, at one point, fighting for the welterweight championship of the world, went up to 185, fought Robert Whitaker in a very competitive fight. We know how good Robert Whitaker is. But we need to see consistency. We need him to get back going in the right direction in regards to winning and winning, not once, but multiple times back-to-back. -back. This guy has good stand-up. Dude, his stand-up's so good that Israel Adesanya, for a long time as the champion, goes, I would love to fight my Darren Till to test my skill set against his because I respect him so much. But, dude, Drake is duplicitous, is tough, and he hits so hard. My only concern about this matchup for Drake is, is that he tends to overextend. And if you've watched Darren Till fight, he's very good in the in-between. When I say the in-between, I say as you're throwing and you're blitzing, he is throwing in between those combinations. He's really good there. And I wonder if Drake is, and his team have worked on that to the point that he can shore up some of those holes and openings that he tends to leave whenever he's trying to get his his offense off on his opponents. I think you made a good point when you talked, you spoke about uh, the way Israel Adesanya saw Darren Till as a striker. And, and it leads to you mentioning Darren Till throwing punches in between some of the strikes of Drakus in the sense that it shows that Israel Adesanya is peeping or noticing the counter-striking. He's peeping or noticing the ability to move in and out. And I think that's what Darren Till has to do throughout this entire fight, to play more to his strength, to not have to take on those heavy strikes, to not make this about of who punches the hardest, but who fights the smartest and understands distance, understand moving in and out uh, between where you can be most effective. And I think Darren Till will understand that. After having a time where he's been away from the Octagon, D.C., how difficult of uh, uh, what does Darren Till need to do to put himself back into the, the, the forefront of the UFC? Uh, it's going to take some work, right? The one thing about Till is he's very popular. People still recognize him. And honestly, before Leon Edwards became the champ, Till was still the most popular English fighter because he's recognizable and he's got a big personality. I can't tell you how many times Till has come for me on Twitter. He's a character. But the reality is the character only gets you so far. You've got to win fights. Darren Till has that skill set. He's training out of Sweden now with those guys like Hamzat and 
uh, Andreas Michael and the whole team at All-Star All MMA. He has to implement what they teach, and he has to do it in a way that reminds everyone who Darren Till is and was between 170 and 185, and he's still young enough to make another run towards a championship opportunity. But it all starts Saturday, and if he can't get past Duplissus, it's it, it it might be over for the time being for Till, but it would skyrocket Drake's up the rankings into very, very important fights. Yeah, I mean, you think about Darren Till being six, four, and one. Uh, four of those, uh, four of the last last five fights are losses, and it's like you get in, you skyrocket, you're off, you're, you're on a meteoric rise, and then suddenly you crash into the earth. And so now he has to fix that and get that trend moving upward. And I think that's very difficult, especially against a guy as dangerous as Drakus Duplessis is. But you know what time it is, DC. I, I was here early. You took a while. Uh, I guess you were trying to get all your stuff set up. But now Jake is on the God mic that he was testing way before the show started. And it's time to tap in or tap out. All right, guys. During Friday's weigh-in for fight night, Matt Schnell stepped on the scale overweight. He went backstage, shaved his head, and made weight. So, DC, tap in or tap out, doing whatever you can to make the weight. Hey, you want to ask me that? I mean, RZ, you really asking me that? <laughs> hey, hey, he should ask, is it okay to cheat when you're trying to make weight? <laughs> DC, <laughs> hey, DC. What's what's funny about this though is like it's so obvious. They just wanted you to fight, bro. That's all that is. And it's 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 more crazy to me that in your cheating and you're wearing your drawers like you missed a man like hugging you from behind you. Like that's that what's no more draws. crazy hey, that, hey. to me, bro. I was butt naked, dog. I had no drawers on. That was my strength coach, bro. My strength coach was just happy. I made weight. His name is Chris Camacho, dog. He was so happy he hugged me butt naked. But the reality is, <laughs> of course you do anything to make the weight. But RC, like, have you ever seen anybody cut that much hair off? It was like 0.3 pounds of hair. I've never seen it weigh that much in my entire life. I get he lost 0.3 by cutting off his hair. Well, Crazy. he also cut his chest hair, DC, which is more impressive to me. So I 100% <laughs> tap in on doing anything it takes to make the weight. And if you have that much chest hair, you probably should have just shaved it before the weigh-in. Corporate Jake, you're up. Jake Paul recently challenged Patty the Batty to a five-round sparring session following Patty's fight this coming weekend. If Patty were to win, Paul would award him a million dollars. RC, tap in or tap out Patty sparring Jake Paul for a potential million-dollar win. So I tap in. That, that's first off. I tap in, but I tap out on the fact that I don't get anything unless I win. For me, you got to pay me to show up. Yep. So if I show up and I get like yep. 200 Gs, and then if I win, I get a million, I do it. But I'm not doing it for free. Like, I'm not fighting this fight and then going practice. I'm not doing that. So you tell me I get money for showing, and then I get the whole meal for winning, then I'm in. If not, hell no. Nah. Man, I tap out, man, because this dude be playing. RC always talk about, like, he always throws, like, these large sums of money out, but there's always a bit of a, a, a reel in, right? Like, this dude, Patty Pimlin, is going to fight on Saturday, and he's challenging him to a spar match on Monday. It's like, but like, if you want to do it, like you said, you want to spar him, give him the mill, give him the money. Like, it don't yep. matter if you got to, why does he got to win? It's a sparring match. Like, sparring, there's no winning and losing. You give the dude the money, he'll show <laughs> right. up. Who knows fight. who wins? Of course, you'll do right. it. Like, yeah, like, come on, who cares who wins? You want me to spar you two days after a fight? I, I'm fighting at 155, right? So it's not like he's going right. to be that big. Dude, pay the dude a million dollars or I'm tapping out. Like, yeah, tap out, man. All right, guys. Over Jake. After doing a face-off at the PFL Championships, Aljamain Sterling confirmed his next title defense will be against Henry Cejudo early in 2023. So, DC, tap in or tap out, Cejudo getting an immediate title shot in his return. Uh, so, Dominic Cruz got mad at me the other day because I always talk about Cejudo and I say Cejudo comes back into a title fight because he never lost his belt. Cruz thinks that he ran away. That's why he stopped fighting. It wasn't, he doesn't believe that Henry left to try to get more money. I disagree. I thought Henry overplayed his hand 
and that's why he's back because he he overvalued himself, right? And he thought that the, by saying he was retiring right after knocking Dom out, he thought the UFC would back up the brake truck. They didn't. Now he finds himself coming back. He's a four, he was a two division champion at the time, or did he not? Did he retire after Dominic or D- Dillashaw? I think he had both belts whenever he retired. So it's like the guy yeah. should get a championship fight. I believe it. And um, I believe it's going to be a fun fight. I, and the guy's a winner, man. The dude's won his entire life. So, yeah, yeah. yeah I figured uh, I figured he would walk into a championship opportunity. But, RC, you remember when, when Aljamain Sterling tried to say, I'm not back until July? And I was like, yeah, yeah, let's let's see if that stands. Like, them dude, dude, they, you don't get off that long, bro. You're coming back in March, yeah. man. Hey, hey. Yeah, money, money talks and the UFC can push you into what they need you to do because those belts have been vacated now. And I tap in on this. Henry Cejudo was on top of the world when he decided to leave the UFC. I agree with DC. He overplayed his hand. But now in coming back, why do you waste a Henry Cejudo fight on a warm-up fight? Get it right away. If Aljermaine mm-hmm. Sterling dominates, then he just dominates. But now it validates who Aljermaine Sterling is. And if Henry Cejudo yep. comes back close to what he was, at least we get a great fight. Corporate Straight Jake, RC, give us some You got to think about this, right, RC? Wait, but wait, wait hold on. You got to think about this too, RC. Like, it's not like if you put Henry just in a tune-up fight. It really matters because they didn't pay him the money he wanted because he didn't move the needle like he expected yeah. the needle to be moved. So you might as well put him in a championship fight where you could couple that fight with something else to try to move the needle. So, yeah, man. Sorry, Corporate Jake. Let's move on. Strawweight champ Zhang Weilei recently stated that it is a must for her to eventually move up and take on current flyweight champion. Jake, that's the problem. Corporate Jake, that's the problem. You know, like, yeah, that's why everybody mispronounces Zhang Weilei's name. Because you come up here and say Zhang Weilei. Corporate Jake, you can't be doing this. Man, you gotta say it right if you on the guy mic. Zhang Wei Lee, man. Put some respect on the champ's name, Corporate Jake. Don't turn that mic off now. Apologies. Don't Apologies. turn it off now. Strawweight champ <laughs> Zhang Wei Lee recently stated that it is a must for her to eventually move up and take on current flyweight champion Valentina Shevchenko. So DC, yeah. tap in or tap out on that potential super fight. There we go, my boy Corporate Jake. He shook back. He shook back. No, uh, <laughs> yes, I tap in because. Bro, like, do you think, Jake or Ryan, that we're going to see a strawweight, you know, be able to compete with Zhang Wei Li right now? We've seen her lose before to Rose Namajunas, but outside of that, she's been pretty dominant. And the way the division has been moving, it would seem as though, and we talked about this right after she won the belt, it seemed like she would bring stability to this weight class if she's able to do that and defend the belt a couple times. I would absolutely love to watch her fight Valentina Shevchenko. But I'm not letting the champ off the hook just yet, RC. Valentina needs to give Tyler Santos a rematch yes. before she starts looking yes. at fighting other champions because of the way that fight was playing out before. Nope, I 100% agree with you, DC, that uh, Valentina Shevchenko does need to give Santos that rematch. But I am totally in on seeing Zhang Weili move up and take this fight. I think she needs to show again her dominance over being the reigning champ, right? Not necessarily just, you know, winning the belt again. Show her dominance as being the reigning champ. So we build up into that fight. So when we see Shevchenko and uh, Zhang Weili fight in that matchup in in what will be a super-duper fight, they're both on top of the world at that moment. Give us another one, Corbett Jackson. Last one. Over the weekend, Nate Diaz got a key to the city of Stockton, California. RC, tap in or tap out. There is no athlete more deserving of a key to his respective city than Nate Diaz. I tap in because I know nothing about Stockton other than the Diaz brothers. I mean, zero. Mm -hmm. There is zero reason that I've ever thought about Stockton. The only reason (laughs) I've ever even seen it before was because if you look up Sons of Anarchy, the made-up place that Sons of Anarchy is supposed to be is apparently between Stockton and some other city. And so that's the only reason I even know it, which the Diaz brother fits (laughs) perfectly into. They would have been a son of Anarchy. And so for me, I totally rock with this. (laughs) Nobody represents a place or is more synonymous with a place the Nate Diaz is of Stockton, California. I agree, Ryan. I tap in. Hey, you, Nate Diaz deserves a key to the city of Stockton because the reality is Stockton ain't beautiful. I mean, Stockton is not a beautiful place. You know what I'm saying? Like, Stockton is like that bad side of Baton Rouge, Ryan, 
where like nobody really goes to. <laughs> where, for us, where the, young boy the way from. We, people, <laughs> yeah, wait, oh yeah, where young boy from. Everybody like Stockton is a place where people don't we don't relate good to it. Nate Diaz brought good to Stockton with what him and his brother did. So I tap into Nate getting the key to the city, but I would also like to see Nick get his credit at some point by receiving the key to the city of Stockton because it all starts with the Diaz brothers. Ryan, before we go, guys, we want to give a shout-out to our good friend Dustin Poirier. Dustin Poirier yes. was uh, got a staph infection uh, last week, and he has been in the hospital for the last couple of days. You know, I called DP yesterday. He was good enough to call me back, told me he's in a lot of pain. He said he's taking antibiotics, and they're running tests to see what's going on because the antibiotics are not uh, working as effectively effectively as they have in the past. When you're in mixed martial arts and you're in wrestling and grappling, you deal with these skin diseases at times. Generally, you pop some antibiotics. In a couple days, you're better. Dustin, good luck, my friend. We are going to be praying for you and uh, know that the whole world is in your corner as you fight this thing off. Yeah, like this, I don't think people, you know, in football, this happens often as well. Uh, this is extremely serious. And I know people might laugh because it's a foot or say that it's not that bad. There are people that lose limbs and lose lives uh, because of these infections. So to Dustin Poirier and especially his family as well, because DC, you know as well as I do, when we as athletes go through these things, our wives, our children, they have to deal with them as well. So to, to Dustin Poirier and his families, man, our thoughts and our prayers are with you. Heal up, champ, man. We want everything to go well as you continue to recover. But, D.C., this was fun, bro. I enjoyed hanging out with you. I mean, yeah. you know, it took us a little time to get with Mark, but we got with Mark. Uh, your, your Saints lost. They're not my Saints, even though that I'm from there. But my Tigers did lose. This is a bad week for Louisiana as a whole, bro. But what I do know is this. The show was great. The show was fun. And we will see them wherever they get their podcast every week and ESPN2. D.C., I heard little Daniel, though, he going to play a little 707. And he got the moves. He got the hands. It's time. It's time, right? We got to work on those. Uh, hey, we're 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 a bit, we're a bit of a thumper. Like he's a bit of a thumper. So this seven is going to push him to do uh, things a little bit differently. But that, I believe it'll help with the athleticism. RC, great show again, my friend. Should like the Saints, but it is what it is, boys. Hey, everywhere you get your podcast, YouTube, ESPN, two midnight Eastern. Catch DC and RC. Until next week, guys. Peace. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.